Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, Nick and I sit down with Peter Holland. And if that name sounds familiar to some of you, it's because Peter used to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He played for another few teams as well, but we're not even going to bring them up. We're just going to focus on the Toronto Maple Leafs. So this is a real thrill for us to get an ex-Toronto Maple Leaf sitting here on the podcast with us. We get to talk about his career, what he learned going through the journey to become a professional hockey player, essentially what it takes to become a professional hockey player, and then get into some of his reflections on that time of his life and the next chapter of his life. He's a business development executive with Sat Street. It's a Canadian exchange that helps a lot of institutional investors get Bitcoin on their balance sheets, but they're also working with individuals um, to uh, purchase Bitcoin and other digital assets. So if you want to check out what he's up to now, that's the place to go. He's at Sat Street. The URL for Sat Street is satstreet.com, S-A-T-street.com. So we get into all of that athletes and financial education, how he got his own education, how he went down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. Like how do you go from an NHL player to working in this particular industry and get his thinking on Bitcoin and that, that whole space. So we get into it all on this particular episode. And look, if you're listening to this and you're trying to figure out what your next investment steps are, and if you're trying to figure out if real estate investing is something that fits for you, you can pick up some of the educational tools that we have on our website at rockstarinnercircle.com. So from that website, you can get links to different podcast ep episodes that we've done like this one. You can get li links to the different reports. I'm stuttering all over, over all my words here. Must be the excitement. Um, you can get links to all the different reports that we put out there. You get uh, links to free digital, digital copies of our books. And the reason that we're putting all that information out is when Nick and I started in real estate investing, we couldn't find good local information. So we're doing our best to try to share some local real estate investing information from people who are working with investors, who are investors themselves, right here in the greater Toronto and Golden Horseshoe area. So you can find videos, podcasts, books, and reports all at rockstarinnercircle.com. That's enough with this intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, now we, we are live with Peter Holland and my younger brother, Nicholas Alexander Carazza. And you brought up the Leafs. Peter Holland is here. No, hold on. To be fair, I said, if we're going to start with the Leafs, I'm leaving. That's what I said, just I mean, to be you're clear. You're a Leafs fan. No, I am. I am, but I, I can't. I emotion, there's some war wounds there. Emotionally, I can't handle it Scars. anymore. I mean, I, I need, for this year, I need, to be, I need to block out the whole season until April. That's the goal. So wait, let's just, <laughs> we'll just start. So Peter, for those who don't know, you played for the Leafs. Um, the years were, if I have them right, 2013, beginning of 2013, 2017. Yeah, right around the end of 2016. So I got traded. So, so I was drafted originally to the Anaheim Ducks. I played uh, about two and a half years with them, mostly with their minor league system. It was my, my second year was a weird one because it was the lockout year. Um, so basically everybody uh, was forced down to the American League and then obviously the guys who were established in NHL or some of them went over to Europe. Um, but the first half of that entire season was with the American League, but the league was actually really good that year because there was a lot of guys um, so you're playing in it that weren't supposed to that be weren't playing supposed to yeah. be playing in it, right? Um, a lot of guys that have gone on to be stars, obviously Braden Shen, Nas Kadri, those guys were all down there uh, at that time. Um, anyway, the lockout ended. I got called up to Anaheim uh, for the majority of what was a shortened, I think it was about 42 game schedule. I played in roughly half of them, 
sat in the press box for another 10 or 15 and then was bouncing around up and down between the minors uh, the rest of the time there. But um, after my, my third training camp the following season, um, you know, on an on entry-level contract, you're, you're more or less supposed to make the team by your third year, especially as a first-rounder, which I was. Uh, and and uh, things didn't go according to plan. So they were, they were actively looking to move me. I got traded to the Leafs uh, early November, I think it was. And uh, I joined up with them. I played with the Leafs for about three years. Uh, and that was an absolute blast. I spent a little bit of time with the Marlies my first season. Um, more so in the playoffs. Obviously, we, we didn't make the didn't make the postseason when I was with the, with the big club, um, but I went down my first year. Let's not talk about any postseason yeah. stuff with the Leafs, okay, Peter? Let's but I never even got we just talked regular of like, season here. Okay, we'll I would have just, just enjoyed to be part of one of those masters, <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, my, my time with the Marlies was, was great. We had a, we had a really fun group of guys. It was it, that was probably looking back on it. Funny enough, one of the best times I had playing hockey. Um, because of sounds, that group yeah just because of that group like it was it was it was a group where no one wanted to leave the rink it was like you know you'd show up extra early for practice you'd have a blast doing your workout you'd have a blast doing your practice and then guys would just be hanging around the room till like three four in the afternoon cool which is which is not normal like a typical schedule for a pro hockey player is you get to the rink around eight or eight thirty in the morning Typically, practice you're on the ice around ten or ten thirty, so there's an off ice workout in there, maybe some special teams meetings or whatever, just regular team meetings. But once practice ends, guys pretty quick hit the showers, grab a bite to eat, and then they're out. But this group was just like, "What else can we do in the room today?" Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> you know, and then and then when you left the room, it was like, "Okay, where are we going for dinner?" Yeah, that's cool. I'm sure there were some players when you were playing at AHL level and NHL level. There's got to be some personalities in there that think they rule the club too, and the club rotates around them. You know how it that's is. every every yeah, environment. Yeah. That must guess. Be, uh, I yeah, know. yeah. No, uh, but I think uh, that's 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 what gives credence to having a group like that. Where, yeah, where th that's what made that so special. Yeah, yeah. You know, because you can play on teams where it's cliquey, or you know, there's certain personalities in the room that maybe don't jive, and and that sort of creates barriers around the dressing room. But uh, but yeah, it was it was it was a lot of fun. So who was your coach I, then? At the age when you were the Marlies, was that Dallas Eakins then? No, I no. had Steve Spot. Oh, okay, okay. Um, that was I'm trying to think who was the goalie uh, for the Marlies then? Was that Pope? We had no. no. We had uh, Drew McIntyre. Oh, I believe. Okay, he, he, got it. I want to say maybe he played a couple games with the big club, but for the most part, he was just a, a, a lifer. And when you were playing with the Leafs, who was the goalie for your era? We had Reimer and Bernier. Oh, oh, the Reimer Bernier. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, I I liked Bernier. Everyone else around me, Reimer had the better personality. I I just thought Bernier had positionally better with goalie. We, that's a running joke. That's <laughs> the, a running the Reimer joke. conversation. The Reimer, with Tom are, are, no, are I'm a huge no. I like Reimer as a person i just his style i don't know i don't know what to make of his style it was anyway you're tired of leaf fan telling you for this stuff but uh that was an, inter <laughs> that was an interesting that was an interesting goalie tandem uh for us I know, well, it was so an interesting coach, coach then well we we had a few <laughs> yeah, yeah so was, were you there it was ron wilson years no 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 i was post ron wilson years so when i got there it was randy carlisle which was actually oh, interesting. Who, yeah, i have forgot about carlisle that's what i was looking for because he was the head coach in anaheim when i was originally drafted oh so that doesn't help you i'd imagine if he didn't want you up before, well right? it didn't it didn't because he would have been part of sort of the internal group with anaheim that would have watched scouting videos and been sort of a part of that process when they drafted me. Um, I didn't make the team, obviously, in Anaheim uh, when he was still coaching, but he was there, I think, you know, at the time I scored my first NHL goal. So first couple games as, as a young guy. Um, but so we had we had Randy first, and then we had Peter Hordichuk. 
took over. Oh, oh yeah. he was a temporary guy. Yeah, yeah. he was a temp guy. I forgot. And, and and I mean that was that season was a nightmare. I think we had like forty five different guys wear wow. a leaf jersey that season, and there was like something like maybe forty five is a bit of an exaggeration, but it was over thirty. Uh, and we had something like ten guys make NHL debuts. Yeah, I remember that season. It was just that a really strange. That felt like they were. Remember, I was like, at the what's end, going they're, on? Yeah, they're yeah. just trying to tank this team, or what's happening here? Yeah, um, and then and then obviously I played a year and a half with uh, Babcock or two, two, two. Oh shit! Guys. Yeah, Babcock. So I got uh, yeah, yeah, I got the full spectrum. You got a, yeah, oh, you got a lot of. Variety. I won't even <laughs> bring up our debates about Babcock. Well, now you have to. Well, yeah, yeah. I, Nick thinks Babcock's the best to go. No, ever. no, I never said and I, that. I didn't like Babcock style from day one. No, you blamed their 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 results on. It was like coaching, coaching. I'm like, I think it's more than coaching. But but there I were just, some, there no, were some I decisions. Think I was very fair. I thought the coaching. I really didn't respond to the type of coaching. Yeah. I could just tell. I was like, these guys. I don't. I just know. always I can't thought speak for the room. I don't know what was going on yeah. in the room. I'm just like, this guy doesn't have the team. This is old school. I just coaching. thought it was. And more. I remember his years in Detroit. Where I'm like, well, with that many good players in Detroit, I could have won the Stanley Cup as a coach. No, seriously. <laughs> and they won one, uh, one cup. And I felt then all that, yeah, I don't know that. I'm just, I'm sure he's a nice person, but uh, as well, a coach. Well, from some of the stories, <laughs> yeah, it didn't, you know, yeah, you know I was just we don't need to end it off. His, his put, wife and kids might agree with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, okay. Yeah. I was going to say, we, we don't need you. We yeah. didn't, you know, just need, trying to spare you from getting in on our own conversations on this. Well, the Marner story that came out with what he did with Marner, that one came out about how he had to write down, like, what was it, like the 10 people, rank and order who you think tries the hardest or the best players in the team or something, whatever that that came out. It was like, which guys do you think work the hardest in yeah. the gym? Yeah. And, and, and obviously there was a couple of the leaders on the team who were ranked at the, at the bottom end of that list. And then didn't he read it in front of the whole room? Yeah, he like publicized it. And, I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Then it, obviously Mitchie was in a weird position. Yeah, of course, sure. yeah. Young guy. I mean, I was I was hanging on by a thread at that point, so I wasn't like too focused on some of the some sure of the exterior yeah, yeah. stuff that was going on. But, you know, obviously looking back on it, that was a pretty – crazy but how do you do that so I, a new young guy coming onto the team you put him in that position yeah. well and this I is think, your, indirectly you're saying i was right about babcock no, but i was talking about but i even things. think to bab's credit which i i don't like to hand out <laughs> but uh, to his credit i even think he backtracked on that and then he was like well maybe i shouldn't have done that uh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay okay he realized it yeah. um so then you then, then you moved because you had a i don't know i would call them i don't know how you would call those years but i thought they were some good years as a Leaf. And then what happened? You left the Leafs. Are you talking personally or as a team? Because as a team, it was a bit of a tire fire. No, personally. <laughs> no, didn't you? Because yeah, you had well, a couple years there, you were scoring 10, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I my like best year, I think I had 11 goals and, and uh, just under 30 points. Yeah, so the, you're, 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 you're scoring goals in the NHL. This is a big deal. Yeah, I was pretty excited about it. <laughs> yeah. So then what happened from there? I don't know if you want to relive this or not. Um, but what, because after the Leafs, what happened? The Leafs didn't sign you again? Well, so what ended up happening uh, eventually with Babs is I started to get taken out of the lineup more consistently. Um, so obviously I was trying to fight my way back into the lineup. And, and typically the way Babs would do it would be if the team lost, he would switch up a player mm. or two and, and work guys in and out. And then there started to become a pattern where, uh, the team was losing and he wasn't switching the lineup. And so then I was trying to have meetings with him to go into his office, like not consistently, but you know, you just were trying to request that with well, him. No, I don't know if request is or the just right, trying to right catch word, him? but yeah, just trying to have a conversation and just say, Hey, what, you know, I feel like I can help the team. And, you know, I've been working my butt off in practice and, you know, I, these are the areas I think I can help in. I think, you know, at the time it was like, I'm, I'm decent on the power play or, you know, I'm, I'm putting some effort in on the penalty kill in, in practice or, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever it was at that time. But 
I mean, those meetings obviously didn't go very far and it just kind of felt like the writing was on the wall and I was never, I'm not, I'm not someone who's good at just sort of sitting on the sidelines and, and being patient. <laughs> and uh, it just really felt like the writing was on the wall for me there in Toronto and, and was looking for a change um, just to get back to playing. Um, and, a, and a trade came down. Uh, Lou traded me to Arizona uh, in December. Oh, yeah, that was Lou years. Yeah, huh. it was it was Lou, the Shanna plan, Lou Lamorello, Babcock. Yeah, um, trying to you know turn the tide in Toronto. Um, anyway, I got traded to Arizona in December of that year, and it's funny the way hockey works, man. Because two weeks later after my trade, Arizona was scheduled to play in Toronto, and that was only my third game, my second or third game with the club. It's bad that I. Can't oh wow, you're already back. I, I was already back, and uh, just the way things work, the game went to a shootout. And oh shit! No, no. Did you? I forget this. Game goes to a oh, shootout, shit, and uh, Dave Tippett, that? Dave Tippett, who was the coach of Arizona, so our first two shooters have gone. He comes down the bench. He and he's knew. like, "Hey, Holly, how are you in the shootout?" I was like, "Well, I'm not doing so well this year, but historically, I've been pretty good. I think the one season, either the one prior to that or the one before that, I was like top five in the league for shootouts." So he goes, "Okay, you're our third shooter," and sure enough, the games games on my stick. If I score, we win. So I go down on Freddie Anderson, bury a backhand five hole, win the game. I'm all pumped up. The boys are all pumped up for me. And then I think the media asked Babs in the uh, post-game interview something about me scoring the goal. And he's like, oh, I missed it. I think he whiffed on the shot or something like that. Is that what he said? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, well, that's definitely something he would have said, yeah. <laughs> that's cool, though. That's awesome, the way that pl- that worked out. No, you know what? Because I'm happy player, for Peter. Great. Yeah, but I, as a Leafs fan, that's happened so many times to us that it's not even fun. I'm happy for Peter individually. <laughs> are you, saying Anderson, are you saying Anderson couldn't make the big I save in Europe? I'm also not a huge Anderson fan. I said, steady Freddie's great in the regular season, but let's win some playoffs. That's okay. Now we got more millions than ever tied up in goalies that we're not sure can no, do anything. I'm, I mean, the culture there <laughs> now, I feel, is like, yeah, I don't know what it is now. We well, the goalie culture there is a, a coin, coin toss. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. They're going to be good. Yeah. They got a yeah. lot of great people. Matthews yeah, is well, going to score 250 hey, goals this year. Only one of us here played in the NHL. Let's ask Peter what he <laughs> thinks. What, what are your But well, he might not want I'm, I'm not asking him specifically because maybe he doesn't want to actually say. No, of course. <laughs> I mean, he, he, I really... Part of, he's a Leafs alumni. He, yeah, you're right. You probably get invited. Yeah. You do get invited. Actually, what's to, pretty... What's, yeah, yeah, that's right. What's pretty cool about the Leafs alumni is so we got the box, right? So you get to go to the Leafs alumni suite and watch, watch some games. And uh, so last year was obviously the first year that I used it. And I got to go, my first time using it was against Detroit when Matthews got his two goals for his 60th of the season. Oh, nice. Crazy. Which was pretty cool. And then I got to go for game one of the playoffs against uh, Tampa when the Leafs played a phenomenal And we were there for game five, oh, which okay. was a crazy yeah. game. Yeah, but game one. Well, game one was crazy too because there was that big scrum towards the end of the game as well. And I was sitting in the alumni box and like my hairs are standing up and I'm like, oh, I missed this. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's pretty cool. The uh, the Leafs alumni is a pretty pretty close network of uh, of guys, and I'm actually playing in their alumni golf tournament this week too. So I don't no, that's cool. yeah, that's yeah, a great network. I'm sure locally for you for sure. Yeah, yeah, looking forward to sort of getting involved more with that. Um, and then if you had to guess now, where do you think? The, how do you think their season's going to be this year? Just random prediction. What it's do you think? so hard to say because they go to Game Seven with Tampa last year. I know, and then Tampa runs all the way to the Cup final. I know. Last year wasn't like it, previous playoff years, to be fair. And I'll, I'll it criticize felt better. them. Felt better. They were they played. They didn't cave. They play. They came to I, play. I agree. But then you look at the year before that, same thing. They had Montreal, who 
if we weren't in a uh, COVID yeah, all-Canadian division, something like Montreal wouldn't have even made the playoffs. You're right. Shit, you had to bring that up. And then, right. and then, right? And then, and yeah. then, so yeah. there was no reason that the Leafs. Yeah. So you can't really use the Tampa as a sign of really much. No, but but there's no reason that the Leafs shouldn't have moved on from the first round, really the last two years. But but I mean, arguably more so against Montreal. Um, and then Montreal runs all the way to the Cup. So you start to like add these things yeah. up in your head, and you're like, well, if the two teams that the Leafs lost to made it to the Cup final, what what could the Leafs yeah. have done? I'm not saying they would have made the Cup final as well, but just you know, you're sort of looking at these two instances, going, well, what could we have done? So in terms of like looking forward, man, they just I think if they just get past the first round, it's almost like a curse will just be like lifted yeah, off yeah, the group. It'll be like, okay, we did this. Now now expectations of just Tampa. The city's going to celebrate like they won the Cup if they win the first round. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's and cool. I feel like the matchups don't get any easier because you still got Tampa in your division. Yep. You still got, I think, Boston's. I think Rangers are probably well, going to be. Florida, Florida's still there. They've Florida now, Florida's yeah. Chuck's over there. Um, yeah, and this is our full last season of Matthews. He's gone because this is our last season, and they're going to oh. have to trade him before yeah. the trade my, deadline my, next my year. Opinion our last season my opinion is he's gone, yeah. No, you think I, so? I'm, yeah. I, yeah. I, I have, I'm basing it, my knowledge is zero. So I'm basing it on zero. <laughs> and it's just as a Leafs know. fan. It's yeah. a starting point. Yeah, no, but yeah, as a yeah, Leafs yeah. fan, you just expect him to be gone. Because mm-hmm. you're like, okay, he's not staying. So are you saying that every Leafs fan is a pessimist at this point? Yeah. I think so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think okay, so. no, that's that's good. It's just where where we're starting. <laughs> I mean, I'm a fan. Like I'll go. Of course. I'll spend my money and go. Of course. I'm really not expecting very yeah. much. I think if you you like look, it's very hard to win a cup. Like it's flipping hard. It doesn't matter. How, look, look at Ovechkin, right? And he had players around him for a long time and stuff. It's just very hard. And look, even Crosby, like yes, he won multiple, but then later on in his career, still a great team. Yeah, they couldn't win, right? Stamkos was great for many years. They didn't. Yeah, so it's it's, yeah. you know, so if 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 Toronto still shows promise, you know, maybe there's a chance. And and I think playing, and I don't know, maybe you can share this with me. If you have a good line mate, like if you're a scorer and you have someone that can feed you the puck, so like you're playing with a guy like Marner that's obviously very skilled as well. Sure. And you can get him the puck. That's got to be like a positive uh, outside of if you're just as a guy on, the on, on are, your own. Depends right? how annoyed he is with the Toronto media and stuff. Like yeah. If he's just like tired of it and he's going to go sign a monster deal. That's true. He might go to the Rangers. Like he's American. No, I no. feel like it has less to do with the media at this point for him because I think he's been here long enough now that he just knows what that is and it's just autopilot. I feel more it's just what does he view the long term yeah. roadmap yeah. of the franchise? Of the organization. That, yeah. He's going to be the vote. If he yeah. sticks around, he's thinking it's worth sticking with this group because I, I might win multiple times. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I think or, or at least see a roadmap to one. Yeah. Yes. Let's yeah. start there. Yeah. You know. But the organization as a whole feels like, you know, from the outside, like, I, I don't know, but from the outside looking in, from when Shanahan came in, outside of the, the personnel decisions, it just seems the organization as a whole is not the shit fest that it was before. Because from the outside before, like when your early years, I guess, it looked like a shit fest, <laughs> you know, a bit of a mess. So it seems like it's not that anymore. Like, I think with all the training staff that they've put their investments into other areas that aren't salary cap related that can then help players and stuff. And now that there's some promise, they get a little bit of hometown discount type stuff happening, which never used to happen. Like the guys didn't want to come back and finish their careers in, as a leave because they're just like, what's the point? Right. So. Yeah, you're right, and that's some of that's benefiting us because Spezza was like Spezza was a great deal yeah. for a while. Jordano signed See, another another Babcock thing. Sat him on the first game. That's another. That thing. was as shit. soon as I saw that. That was, that was my final straw. No, that like, was who does that? Well, yeah. you know the you know the Medano thing as well, right? Yeah, I forgot what it is, but I've he, heard of this. He played like fourteen hundred and ninety eight games in the NHL, and he was on Detroit to finish oh, his career. Right, and Babcock yeah. scratched him the last like ten games of the yeah. season. Yeah, can you believe Mike Medano, like with the like the no, greatest American left winger of all time. 
didn't get to 1500 games because Babcock just couldn't put him on the ice for 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Those types of moves are, that, that, it's just not right. So, so then where, so you, um, you're in Arizona. And oh, then you, you really want to dive into the, no, no, I'm just trying to figure out how <laughs> no, you got no. to Sat Street. Yeah. I just want to try, I'm just trying to see the whole story here. Cause then you were in the league then for a few more years. Yeah. So I, I, I went to Arizona. I finished that season with Arizona. I signed on July 1st with the Canadians, a two year deal. Um, didn't make the team at a training camp. And it was the first year that they opened up their American League team in Laval, uh, just outside Montreal. So I started there. I was there only about two months, which I found kind of strange because usually when you sign a multi-year deal, they're not looking to trade you in the first two months. So I don't know where that one went wrong. But anyway, I got traded Good. to... I'm ready to throw the Habs <laughs> under the bus too. <laughs> I'm, I hate the Habs. So yeah, I don't know what their problem is either. I don't know. Oh. That, was, that, was, that was a strange one though because I've never been... Uh, at least in my playing days, now that I'm working nine to five, I'm, I'm definitely a little bit more out of shape. <laughs> but during my playing days, I never had an issue with my my physicality or being in shape or my stamina and all this stuff. And it seemed to be like there was this weird misconception that I was out of shape in some way or another. And I remember one day in the dressing room in Laval, I was having a, I wasn't a coffee drinker at the time. So I think I was having like a hot chocolate or something like that. And the assistant coach walks by and he's like, what are you drinking? I'm like, I'm having a hot chocolate. He's like, ooh, he's like, I don't know if you should be drinking that. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. There was just like kind of anyway. So I got traded out of there. I went to New York. I started with the Hartford, their franchise, uh, their American League franchise. Uh, was only there for about a month and a half. Uh, got called up to the Rangers in mid-January, right around my birthday. Played the rest of the season with the Rangers. Uh, that was a lot of fun. That must have been oh, cool. Yeah, Madison Square cool. Garden, yeah. New York, and stuff. That was yeah. yeah. The Rangers. The Rangers really treat their players really, really well. Um, what does that mean? Well, typically when you get called up um, as a guy from the American League going up to the NHL, you get put in a hotel because it's very difficult, obviously, to you know track down a four month rental, um, especially in New York City. Sure. Like, you know, what are you gonna do? Um, anyway, so they they put guys on call ups. Uh, I guess they own condos around the city, oh, wow. and they own a few in this building, Kitty Corner to Madison Square Garden. Uh, beautiful, beautiful apartment. Uh, it was like two bedroom. Uh, nice open area looked right downtown at the at the one world trade center and uh you know it would have been like ten thousand dollars a month yeah um anyway team picked that up that was awesome uh, all the meals were, were first class uh they share a practice facility with the knicks and so you go in in the morning and, and the knicks are on one side the rangers are on another they have a chef doing omelets and there's a hot Got station it. okay so you felt wanted yeah 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 it, that, that was that was a also also a weird time for the for the organization because they were going through a bit of a, a revamp as well. You know, they were pushing for the playoffs, but it felt sort of like my Toronto days where it was kind of like, well, are you really? And they ended up blowing up the team at the trade deadline. They traded McDonough away. They traded Shattenkirk away. And Lundquist was at the end of his yeah. career as well. But anyway, it was still a lot of fun to play with those guys and, and get a chance to play at Madison Square Garden. And, um, you know, another cool. example of how they treat the guys too is um, – I got I got uh, courtside tickets to a Knicks game. Oh wow! So you yeah. get to go in, you get the VIP treatment. Uh, there's like the back room. You know, there's movie stars in there. The lead singer of Train was in there. Cool. Turtle from uh, Entourage was in there. And then, oh my god! You know, here I am. You know, yeah. Turtle feel, feeling like a little bit of a pleb, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, during one of the stoppages in play, they introduce all their celebrity guests at the game. And I wasn't thinking anything of it because they'd done Train and Turtle and whatever, and they have little clips to Entourage or you know the, the singing in a concert, and then they throw me up on the jumbotron, scoring a goal with the Rangers, and uh, put me on the put me on. Anyway, it just it was that really stuff mattered. That's pretty that cool. Stuff it was pretty yeah, cool. Sure. Yeah. It was it was it was pretty cool, especially for a guy that you know was just got called up 
you know, a month or two ago, um, was in and out of the lineup even then. Like, you know, that was that was pretty special. Well, it creates moments, right? Yeah. It's yeah. like moments in your life that you just remember. It's just yeah. kind of cool. It's going to give more for the team. Yeah, too, sure. Anyway, I'll try to land this plane because we're trying to get yeah. back how I ended up at Sat Street. But so the following season, I was in the American League completely with Hartford, got traded to Rockford, which was Chicago's farm system. I, that was my first full year in the American League since I was like 21 or something like that. Like I'm, I, I don't think since I turned professional, I'd spent an entire year in the American League without some time in the NHL. And so I was kind of like, you know what? My writing's kind of on the wall here. I've proven everything I can in the American League at this point. I was a perennial, you know, 25 goal scorer, point a game guy. It's like if I'm not getting a shot uh, to get called up, I'm going to f- see what's next. Um, so did my research on Europe and, and looking at uh, opportunities over there. And uh, the KHL was one that, that caught my attention. Um, not to mention that my, my wife, she's Canadian, but her parents are Russian. And so she actually speaks uh, Russian from growing up. So I was like, oh, you know, maybe this won't be so bad. I'll have you to sort of help me out and, you know, get around or whatever, all that stuff. So anyway, I signed a two-year deal over there. I went over there. I had a great experience, minus COVID hitting at the end of the first year. And Is that when you were playing with, like, Datsuk? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was in Datsuk's hometown, a city called Yekaterinburg two and a half hour flight east of moscow so kind of like central russia but russia is such a big country that it's like I don't, i'm not even sure that that is the center of russia but it was like right next to the ural mountains but anyways we got treated uh, phenomenally right we were one of the only teams in the league that had their own plane so we were flying around basically like you do in the nhl uh, catered meals uh, great fan base was that his team or something no no just his okay. city just where he okay came. okay yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that was, that was awesome. And then obviously COVID hit, uh, which, which, you know, brought things back a little bit and created a bit of a, a tornado, if you will, uh, fans in and out of the building, you know, lockdowns when I was traveling back there. My, my, so my second year when I went back there landed, had two week quarantine, I'm in my, I'm in my condo and, uh, you know, kudos to the team. They do everything they can to help you get over there. And then kind of, once you're over there, you're kind of on your own. And for a guy who doesn't speak the language, that was pretty difficult. Uh, and my wife wasn't with me to start. So anyway, I get there I'm, uh, on my second season. Thank goodness it was my second season. So I'm two-week quarantine in my in my condo. And I know how, now how to use the equivalent of Uber Eats over there. So at least I can, like, get myself some food. So my two weeks ends. Uh, I go join the team. We're doing training camp, this, that, the whole thing. Well, sure enough, like 12 days later, the whole team gets COVID. Back into quarantine for two weeks. So my oh, first six shit. weeks in Russia on my second season, I was stuck in my condo for four of them. Anyway, had a, had a great experience. I was actually looking to go back uh, at the end of my two-year contract um, to another team in one of the big cities in Russia. Nothing sort of came down the pipeline. I had an opportunity to present itself in Sweden, uh, a team in Stockholm, Eurogardens, and uh, I decided to jump on it. I was like, you know what, I'm, I don't want to wait around for one of these Russian teams. They were dragging their feet. I kept getting, give us another 24 hours, give us another 24 hours. And uh, the Swedish team was like, look, we kind of need a decision, uh, you know, for our for our organization to move forward. And I'm sure I could have pushed them along as well, but I didn't want to. And I just said, you know, what, let's, I'm going to take this deal. It's in front of me and it's a new experience. Get to go to a new city, sure, beautiful yeah, city. Yeah. Let's let's do this. Um, so I went over there and, and, and this was last hockey season. Like this was the one that just happened. So I went over there at the beginning of October. Uh, first few weeks, I was really enjoying it uh, and then sort of fell back into, you know, not really being excited about going to the rink every morning. And, and, and I'd had these sort of thoughts for a couple of years, to tell you the truth, like, you know, living away from family, being overseas, it's, it's, it takes a toll. And, you know, Russia was a 10-hour time change, and now Sweden was six, but nobody was traveling because of COVID, so no family was going to come visit. And 
Um, we had just had a young daughter at the time. She was two months old. So you're mentally, so at that point, do you just start mentally then checking out? You're mentally not- checking out. Totally, totally. And, and, I, and I'd had my eye on sort of what was next for a while. Uh, and, and around October, end of October, when I'm in Sweden, one of my ex hockey buddies sends me an article on, uh, on Bitcoin. And he's like, Hey, would you mind, you know, just having a look at this? I'd be curious to get your thoughts. So I read the article. Why, why did he send it yeah, to why you? Because you looked at that. Stuff? I think he thinks I'm a smart guy. I got him tricked or something. Okay. Like no, I, I just know. didn't know if there was something specific. <laughs> no, no, nothing specific. I think he just wanted my opinion on it, which was interesting. But you were taking like, weren't you taking some university or college? Didn't this, is the NHL set you up with something? No? Yeah, well, yeah, you're right, actually. So uh, amongst the NHL PA, the Players Association, they have a great program to help players finish their education. And so I had, I had taken them up on that. And so I completed my business administration degree online through uh, Southern New Hampshire University. And so I did that over the course of like six or seven years. I just chipped away at it, chipped away at it, chipped away at it. Finally, it culminated uh, a year ago, May. So, so maybe exactly. that was at the back of his maybe. head. Maybe he's like, oh, he's a university graduate. <laughs> <laughs> Want to get his opinion. Oops. Anyway, he's, he flipped me over the, uh, over the article. I read it and I was like, oh, this is interesting because everything I'd ever thought about Bitcoin or crypto before that was this is a scam. How can anything be a currency that depreciates 80% overnight and just bounces around like this. Like what kind of store of value can this be? And, and I forget exactly what the article was. I, I think it had something to do with, with um, giving the unbanked the ability to mm. hold value and transact value. And uh, uh, so that article led to another one, which led me to another one, which led me to reading books, which led me to watching YouTube. Oh, so it caught your attention. It caught my attention. Huh. And then I'm starting, you know, I'm now, now I'm way down the rabbit hole. Now I'm listening to podcasts and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm on social media following influencers and seeing. What so this saying. is what winter of 20, of 20, wow. 2021, this 2021. Was, yeah, this was October, November of 2021. Yeah. Okay. And so the same guy, same ex hockey buddy of mine who had sent me the original article, he had a neighbor that was a client of Sat Street. So obviously now I've fallen way down the rabbit hole on this and now I want to buy my own Bitcoin in a meaningful way. Uh, so I got referred to Sat Street as a client. Oh, got it. Through my onboarding process with Sat Street, um, essentially my boss now, Mike, one of the co-founders, um, he said to me, you know, if hockey doesn't work out for you, give me a call. Maybe there's an opportunity here for you to come work with our company. So like a month later, it's Christmas time. I've said, you know what, I've had enough of this Swedish hockey thing. It's time to figure out what's next. My daughter was three months old. Oh, they, damn, that's a huge life moment. That's yeah. a huge Yeah, decision. like they were they were over there with me, no support network. And it was like, I never dreamt of playing in the Swedish Elite League. You know, my, my career was going this way. My earnings were going this way. It was like, this isn't hmm. sustainable financially, nor is it sustainable for my mental health. I was like, let's just figure out what's next. I was obviously very passionate about crypto and felt like it's a super underpenetrated market. So I called Mike up. I said, hey, uh, I don't know if you were kidding or not, Mike, but, you know, I'm done with this hockey gig. So if you were serious, I'd love to have a conversation with you about potentially joining the team at Sat Street. So I chased him and John, the other co-founder, for about a month and a half, just, I guess, in the interview process um, and communicating with them and, and, and speaking. And, yeah, I joined up with the team at the beginning of March. And, uh, you know, my, my role is essentially just looking to drive more business across our desk. And so for People who aren't familiar with Sat Street, we're a high-volume crypto trading desk. So we specialize in servicing accredited and permitted individuals on the on the individual side, and then more on the institution slash corporate side. We help public and private companies make treasury allocations to Bitcoin or Ethereum. Or we actually we get asked a lot 
and and Tom, you asked me before the show if we only do Bitcoin. And the truth is we've traded over 150 pairs. It's not something that we advertise because we're a Bitcoin leaning desk. It's the one we have the most ultimate faith and believe in, uh, believe in long term. Um, but if someone comes to us and they've done their homework and they've done their research, as long as it's not an outright scam, uh, they're free to do with their money as they wish. And we can source pretty much uh, any any token we need to source for them. But uh, And then on the Web3 side, we help uh, you know NFT companies, metaverse companies, Bitcoin mining operations. We act as their liquidity providers because obviously they got to keep their lights on and pay their employees. What does that mean, acting as their liquidity providers? If they well, need so to if, sell something, you're gonna you're gonna find a market. You're gonna make this happen. Yeah, we're just an on and off ramp yeah, for, okay. for digital assets. So miners use us. You know, they obviously mine a whole bunch of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. They got to sell it back into cash because they got to keep you know the electricity running and employees employees paid. So they use us to convert it back into cash for them. So okay, yeah. the CEO of Hut Eight has been on here. I don't know if you know Jamie Leverton or not. I don't, but oh. I'm sure that my my guys do i'm i'm still very new to the space yeah no i could well yeah and there's a lot to take on you're actually sitting in the same seat that greg foss did his first podcast i listened i listened to to foster in here yeah yeah. oh i've listened (laughs) when he first came in here we didn't know and i did not know he had never been on a podcast and he came in here and he started smashing the table right right where you're sitting there and at the time he was like it's just math remember and he's like you don't understand it's a cds on the entire fiat system and i had already been i was already sold on bitcoin but this guy was blowing me away. Well, the yeah. math he was talking about was just like complicated bond trader math that like was just with, grade with eleven. I'm like, you yeah, slow it. That's not grade eleven. That's you grade know, eleven. Yeah. Then I'm I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm struggling. Grade eleven without still paying attention to school but, and doing well in math. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know that's not grade eleven. Yeah. Yeah. So you're new to it, but you're kind of you kind of chose the fire hose approach because you're now at Sad Street. Absolutely. And you're dealing. You you hear some cool conversations. I'm sure just on what's going on. Absolutely. And you've entered the time because to me. Now I'm talking like you're not here, Peter, but Nick, Peter's uh, joining an industry that's, it's going to, the 10 year trend on this industry to me is straight up. And the reason we talk that way is because in, when I went into tech, tech, uh, late 1990s, you could do no wrong. You entered a software company and there was just money flowing around. There was the tech crash and stuff, but if the, the companies that survived through that survived then everything and grew to be big. I was at Oracle. Yeah, there were times with more money flowing around and less money flowing around, but still. The sales, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there was the bad time too. And yeah. I feel like that's kind of like right now in the whole kind of Bitcoin. Crypto. Well, even tech space right now too. It's not a time when there's just less less slosh yeah, around. But yeah. I mean, it's a more mature industry now for sure. Now it's a bit more mature. And then real estate, the last... Like since 2008, when interest rates came down and stayed down, you could do no wrong, especially in the GTA. You bought a property and even if you didn't know what you were doing, you made money just by holding the property. And that was just another trend, low interest rates for so long and trends matter. So I just feel like you're entering and this is something I tell my son's uh, third year at Western right now. And I tell him all the time too, like just kind of ch- try to pick an industry that's trending. Yeah. It's kind of like- Well, that's how I felt, you know, especially coming from hockey, which was unique in of itself. I didn't really want to go a traditional finance route. And finance has always been something that sort of interested me and tech's always been something that interested me, even though I'm not tech savvy in any way. I can't code, I, you know, I can't really do any of that stuff, but I felt like crypto was sort of this like great merging of finance and tech. And as long as you can kind of speak to it at a high level, at least to start, it's a great industry to get involved in and you can sort of gain expertise over time, which is what I feel like I'm doing. Um, but, but, you know, to your point, you know, 95% of people can't have a, a very good conversation with you about it on the street. And so it's an industry where you can sort of become, quote unquote, an expert, I guess, sort of before. Yeah, that's actually a good way to look at it. For yeah, sure. Yeah. You can become an expert yeah, because who's an expert, really? Yeah, exactly. Everybody's trying to figure this stuff out. Right. And uh, what about the business? T- like, you know, so I know you, you started relatively recent. So everything is is like an uptick for you. But I'm just wondering, like, is there more? Do you get more calls from businesses now? 
overall that are saying, hey, look, we want to park some of our funds, like some of the treasury allocation, we want to put it in business? Is that- I got to feel or, it's pretty quiet right well, now. Well, I'm thinking yeah, right yeah. now it's going to be quiet. That's yeah. what I'm wondering, yeah. you know, so. I would say it's pretty quiet right now. I think a lot of investors are sitting on the sidelines just in cash, just sort of waiting for the market to pick a direction. Yeah. I think that's all markets right now, yeah. right? Yeah, but I feel like this market, the next liquidity wave, this market is going to be nuts. Yeah, that's, I just of, feel that's like, our sentiment too. But Yeah, is that the conversation? I just feel like, to me, it's like a tsunami, right? The tide's pulled out yeah. on the liquidity, but it has to come back in. And this goes to Greg Foss' math. It has to come in stronger than it came in before. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and there's more maturity in the market. Like, there's more belief in it. It's, it, it well, that's, there's that, been staying power. So that's know. a big difference as well, which uh, is something I wasn't a part of, but something I've sort of learned from my colleagues. So, so, so Mike and John, the two co-founders of Saturate, they've been in the space for... Uh, five or six years each. Mike actually started at uh, CoinSquare. He was one of their first employees. He built out CoinSquare Wealth. So he was one of the first guys you could actually get on the phone in Canada. Oh, wow. Do a trade of size. Um, and then John built a company on the Stellar Network. I think it was like a DeFi wallet or something like that. He sold it to CoinSquare around the same time, 2017, 2018. That's how Mike and John got together, got to know each other. Uh, as entrepreneurs do, they put their heads together. They're like, let's, you know, we can go do this on our own. They still, they started Stat, uh, Sat Street uh, and they've been crushing it ever since, you know, so. Oh, good for them. Yeah. So they started in June of 2020. We've done over 1.1 billion in transactions since that time, um, you know, just servicing the top of the market clients in Canada. Um, so, so that was part of the appeal for me with these guys was, look, this is a small team. You know, I'm employee number eight, I think mm-hmm. I was. And so it was, it was an opportunity to get involved in this industry with a team that's having a lot of early success is going in the right direction. And, you know, hopefully you can be part of that growth story moving forward. Um, you know, it's funny, but that story right there, it remi- going back to what you said, Tom, it reminds me kind of, like you said about the software, like the early, totally early days does. of software. Because, yeah. you know, one of the co-founders built some wallet thing. Like it was like him and some two other coders in the basement someplace or just him himself that built this thing, sold it to another CoinSquare that at that time was a relatively small company, yeah. you know, starting out. There was like, it, it's like all these little companies that just started in these. Uh, when we talked to Maurizio at Ledin, it's like the way they started recently. Um, yeah. You know, they met. They used to. There used to be these meetups from like some of these university grads when, when before like all these things take took off and all these altcoins were even created. They were having these meet meetups and then they all went off and, and did these little projects. And now there's some things of coming together and they're circling back to other stuff. So yeah, it's, it, the synergies are, are very similar to mm-hmm. to I think a, a lot of the software stuff. At least the stuff that I've you know some of the documentaries you've watched between the Microsoft, the, Ga- the Bill Gates, uh, the Steve Jobs stories, how they built they built those things out very early on in their garages and stuff like that. I actually remember that one of the points I wanted to make about that too, with, with Mike and John having experience in the space, is that a lot of uh, a lot of investors in the last bear markets have gone, okay, I want to sell, give me my money back, I'm done with this. Whereas now it's a big, even if they're selling, it's just because they're looking for another reentry point. Oh, interesting. So it's yeah, not that's a, different. It's not yeah, a yeah, give yeah, me yeah. my money, I'm out. It's just, well, I'm going to sell, look for you know maybe the price is going to come down, I'm going to get back in which I think is a huge yeah. shift in sentiment. And and the reason that I think these guys are going to benefit greatly. So I know well, you do institutional stuff and people who are doing $25,000 or more. Yeah, as long as they're an accredited. Yeah, so someone's going to do that am- amount. If they're accredited, you, you will work with them. Yeah. But uh, 
I'm like, Nick, just think when some, they're going to position themselves to some institutional investors. Some of these guys, you remember when we were going through James Lavish's kind of whole debt spiral talk that him and him and Foss were breaking out and a 3.2% interest, which is about the US 10 year yield right now, when the US debt rolls over, because it's about 30 trillion, working on 31 trillion, the, the interest on the carrying cost at 3.2%, and I know it takes us several years for it to all roll over, but it's going to roll over and cost them 800 billion dollars no sorry it was a, it was one point sorry it was one point two trillion yeah it was one point two trillion dollars where right now the cost of it is four hundred billion so now the amount of money printing that's going to have to come in because that's in a deficit position they don't have the extra money to to make those interest payments so that money has to come from somewhere so when that money gets kind of created into an existence and works its way through the system and Canada must match, we have to keep our currency weaker than the US dollar. So if they print a lot and it weakens their dollar, we have to match or do better here. And these guys are gonna have some institutions looking to allocate. And I just feel there's so much more money about to come in the system, which sounds weird now with everything down. And it might not come until the end of next year. Like, the, you know, it's going to take yeah. a little bit. Who, who knows? Who, who knows when that happens? But there, I just feel like if the narrative has changed from what you said, some people are telling you, hey, we're, we're out of it. Yeah. And now they're saying, hey, we're waiting on the sidelines. I feel like there's going to be more coming in from the sidelines than any of us can anticipate. And time will tell. But I just feel like this is one of those rare moments. And it's like this like brief little pause here. And then it's a lot of money is going to flush in because think of all the bond traders who have to allocate somewhere right now. No bond traders that I know. Some of my buddies are in the Bay Street and capital markets. None of them talk about Bitcoin. Yeah, they're, they're still talking about bonds, how they're going to allocate, what percentage, what yield, what duration bond. I mentioned Bitcoin to them kind of to irritate them <laughs> <laughs> a little bit saying, hey, I know you're coming in. Have you figured it out yet? And they're like, what, the, what are you talking about? You know, and when uh, these guys have to come in. And Sad Street's positioned as like maybe an institutional kind of place to, to mm -hmm. play with this could be a real nice spot seat to be sitting in because well, I don't right. think there's many of them. No, I think it's going to happen. Like once there's more, more money flowing around in that industry, then I think there's just some more consolidation is going to happen. Like you saw it starting to happen already before kind of all the liquidity dried up, I guess, late last year, early this year. Yeah. You know, in certain sec in sectors, finan financials was one of them, insurance was another one where there was just money and there was just capital was going to just acquisitions and just like, hey, where do we get growth from? And they're just dumping money everywhere to look for yeah, something. Yeah, so you're right? thinking a company like Sad Street could growth and be appealing to a traditional finance company I think that so might too. try to come in. I still don't see how like some of these companies, like there's some banks that, look, we, you know, we're, we're TD customers on the business side. If you saw the TD commercial banking side of things things and the interface it's direct from dial up 80s like it's it is like the word like i laugh at it it's it's just horrendous. and 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 some of the td people i speak to that are the team that we have to deal with they're like no we know they're, they're working on it we've told them we've given it trust me, you're not the first person to say that like it is like dial up right yeah. and some of these banks they move so slow if they ever want to come in they're not going to build something out on their own they're just going to look they're just going to you know, look around and say, hey, who can we just acquire? And that's, that's what it's going to be. So I, I think that's the type of stuff that happens. So I know you're talking on the asset side as well and, and, and just kind of like for activity in the business. And then just, I'm just looking at the business side as well. It just seems like- Basically, we the, should figure out if we industry. can invest in Sat Street right now. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> well, it's, it's, a, it's, it's really exciting because there's, there's, there's sort of multiple 
faucets, facets, 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 you not faucets. We're not drinking. Yeah, it could be multiple <laughs> faucets. Turn <turned laughs> yeah, on. on and off. Thank you. Could have um, tequila faucet in the office. Maybe we can get one of those set up. <laughs> <laughs> but so our, our core business is as a trading desk, but below that we also have sat street ventures where, so uh, round 13 capital, a prominent VC in the city. Uh, Bruce Croxon is one of the managing partners there. A lot of people recognize him from uh, dragon's den and the Raptors games. And the Raptors goes to a bunch of Raptors games. But so they seeded uh, Sat Street with a little bit of money when Sat Street was getting off the ground. Um, obviously, Sat Street as a company has done really, really well for them. So one of uh, Round 13's big investors came to them with the chops for crypto. And Round 13 said, well, we're no experts, but yeah, we have the guys at Sat Street. So they tapped our firm, and now we're partners with them on a digital asset fund. That's interesting. So we have yeah. a little over uh, $70 million U.S., uh, pretty heavily cashed up at this point. Uh, done some uh, investments, some deployment into projects, but I mean that's another area that we're really excited about because there's so much building going on. A hundred percent. You know, like like Mike sits on the sits on the uh, the board for that fund, and he sees thirty or forty different opportunities every week. You know, so he's sort of a filter, and then and then he'll pass a couple to the fund for their consideration, and then you know they'll look, but. Um, you know, so there's there's multiple avenues to our business that we're really excited about, and, and another one too is we're just starting to roll out our uh, our self-directed trading platform. So we're oh. just giving early access to some of our, some of our investors now, and that will actually eliminate uh, my understanding is it'll eliminate the twenty five thousand dollar minimum trade size requirement. So if some of our investors want to go in and trade five hundred bucks or a thousand bucks, then they're able to do that, and then obviously they still have access to the way we trade now, which is through encrypted group chat. And, and uh, you know they can still leverage our, our traders directly if they want them to do the trades for them. But yeah, there's some there's some great things happening with Satchery that we're really pumped about. What was inter the, a few things? Uh, encrypted group chat is amazing. Just trading volume on you know, just text someone and it happens. <laughs> so that's not the interface that we're used to on, on the commercial banking side. But uh, you know you said there's the, the money in the fund right now, and it. And I know it's relatively early, so they're looking to deploy it and they're looking for the right opportunities. I just think a lot of people are just sitting on the sidelines with a lot of cash right now. So as much as liquidity has dried up, Agreed. there's a lot of money on the sidelines in all sorts of industry. And once there's once kind of like things settle down and if there's any indication that this tsunami starts changing direction again, um, blow in. I think it's going to be it, 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 I think it's going to be. Yeah, it's. It, it, just the inflation side of things that's going to take off from the asset side is just going to be wh whether it's justified or not. I yeah. think it's just bound to happen. Yeah, the only flip side to this is is that if the economy blows up way harder than we think, then you have to fund. Yeah, but I still think this space is the new frontier. Like I feel like if the economy blows up harder, there's still go if you're going to look for growth opportunities, this is the space yeah. you're going to be directed to. Well, maybe you have to use the capital elsewhere for a period of time. Yeah, no, if you, yeah. If you and, have and so to, maybe there's it's cash flow issues in variety of industries. Not, I'm not talking sad street. I just mean across the board, which dries up some more of that, that dry powder that's kind of on the side. Yeah, like maybe right? there is more pain ahead. Like, I don't know exactly how, none of us know how this energy crisis is going to happen. You know, what plays out in the next six months? What plays out this winter? Based on all the moves they've made so far, I would say that the, there's more pain ahead. It's going to be horrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I would agree. Yeah, because it's, but it's interesting that you, the visibility that you're kind of sharing what you're seeing, because some of the things that I look at are totally different. Like I look at just the growth of the lightning network that's yeah. on top of Bitcoin, and I just see the amount of Bitcoin going in there. You see the amount of transactions happening in there so the price of Bitcoin is way down but you can see and it, this is why it reminds me of tech because when I was back in tech after the tech crash Oracle was still selling we were still selling to Chicago Stock Exchange Mercantile Exchange we had all these CIOs buying implementing databases using technology bringing everything up to speed but everything was depressed and when I look back on that time so much was being developed yeah, and it reminds me of lightning 
Yeah, the new rails were being the built. The new rails are being built yeah. right now, but the price is depressed. But if you look at just transactions, I was just, uh, and I don't have the source of this, so you're just going to have to take this, you know. No, I, I don't believe you, but I'll listen to The amount of volume on Lightning uh, in the last 12 months has gone up 100%. The amount of transactions, 400%, which means a lot of people are doing these just little tiny transactions on Lightning. And to me, that's just a sign that there's strength in what's happening here. It's not being abandoned because if the price was down and that was all kind of dwindling on this second layer on top of Bitcoin, I'd be like, oh, shit, nobody's using it. But the usage is actually increasing. Yeah. I'm still confused as to why there isn't more. Just like it's just not a topic of conversation, the lightning network at all. It's just I guess there's just like there's no sex appeal to it. Maybe there's no. It's hard to make money off it. Yeah, I guess you're going to park your Bitcoin. You're going to make transaction fees on it. I think it's the but just the growth, just the growth and what's happening there. Like if you're in the space and you you want to understand the space of technology, that's something. It's hard to get valuable. stats. It's kind of like podcasting. It's hard to get yeah, lightning stats. Yeah, There's no good institute, even the institute at the institutional level. I don't think they can pull reporting stats really well on the lightning network. Everyone's trying to figure out how many channels. And when there's channels open on the Lightning Network, it's hard to see how many transactions. I don't think it's easy to report on the amount of transactions right now going through. You have to kind of be really geeky to figure that out. Something that I find kind of interesting and, and you know, an argument, well, maybe not an argument, but a discussion I like to have with people who go, well, you know, I can't, I can't go buy a coffee with my Bitcoin. So, you know, what utility does it have for me? I'm like, well, do you value physical gold as a, as a store of value historically? And they go, well, yeah. You know, because the currency backed or was backed onto it at one point or another. So, so they understand physical gold. I'm like, well, can you go to Starbucks and you know take some gold shavings and go pay for your coffee? And they said no. So I'm like, well, why do you get hung up on, you know, the ability to to buy and sell with Bitcoin? And I'm not saying that that's not a great thing because it is. Like, I love the fact that the Lightning Network is getting stronger and growing and you know giving more use case for Bitcoin. But in terms of valuing Bitcoin on its ability to have these minor transactions, it doesn't really line up for me. I just think that there's so much more out there that you know historically we've looked at gold as this very valuable thing it's a 10 trillion dollar market cap yeah okay well who cares if we can't go buy a coffee with bitcoin look look how much better it is than gold anyway mm-hmm. well yeah. and we we were at a bar in waterloo we paid for a beer with bitcoin mm-hmm. he was taking payments on the lightning network we paid for a pi- we paid go. for a pint but um, with the, and we've paid for speaker fees with uh, Bit- i don't know if i should be do i say all that and we've paid for multiple things in the real world with bitcoin but so that argument, I think, is dying slowly. People just don't know it. Yeah. We, but it also applies like if you, we go to our father from Croatia, we go to Croatia every year, and their currency for a long they start using the euro now in January, but they still have their own currency. It's called the Kuna, and still there to this day. You know, you will pay for a coffee or something in, in Kuna, but if you were going to get a mortgage or you're buying, you're buying a property, or you're even going, when we rent some boats and we go around, those transactions are all done the larger transactions are all done in euros. And before that, they were done in Swiss francs. Right. Right. And then before that, it was German marks. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. so they were always using, so no one got hung up on the fact that they're like, well, I can't buy my coffee with the, the German mark. With the Swiss you know, franc the, the in Croatia. Franc, because the price isn't yep. in that. It's just, you you just use multiple And that's multiple what I think the world, what the gonna, transaction is. And I think we're going to have the Canadian dollar. Like I think in some of these apps going forward, you'll have the Canadian dollar in your app. Um, but you also have your Bitcoin or whatever else you think is the store of value. And you'll just be able to kind of interface with both. I just think Canadians here have been very used to the Canadian dollar and that's it. But everywhere else, everywhere else, in, everywhere else in the world, they deal with multiple currencies. So I think that's something just new to Canadians. And the country here in Canada has worked so well for like 50 years. We've never really had this conversation about current. We've never really I was going to say, we're also, we come from a place where we have a lot of financial privilege, right? Like yeah. We have a currency that doesn't 
debase 50% in a 12 month period. Some of our clients are from Argentina and whenever they race back home, they're looking to exchange for us dollars. You know, they're not going to carry around. Was it Venezuela, the Bolivar? They're like, yeah, get me out of these things, whatever else is. Well, even our, and you, you earlier on, you were talking about your friend and I think you mentioned, you know, who uses Bitcoin and the word unbanked, I think came up. I think you you shared that. And our aunt in, you know, in Croatia, our father would work hard here as a drywaller, save up money, send $500 to his sister. Um, she, he would lose $50, I think it was on Western Union fees or whatever fee to send it. And then the people that gave the money to our aunt would steal $100 from her. That's right. So, th- so if he would work hard, be taxed, save $500. She would get $350. Yeah, it's gross. It's gross. Yeah, it's gross. So when everyone's like, t- you just haven't been exposed to these kinds of things. It, whereas if you could send her $500 and she receives $500 of value, that's huge. Yep. It's a completely different. And never mind that she had, you know, just imagine the feeling she had when she knew these people were stealing from her. She could do no, nothing about it. And then she sees them having nice lunches and stuff with the money. I mean, just <laughs> from a human dignity point of view, it's kind of shitty. Yeah. You know, so that part, that part matters. And, and we always, I mean, I used to always fight. I, I would always play devil's advocate about, well, what if the government did this and do this? And now, like, it seems pretty, at least the direction they're headed, they're regulating it more than, than outlying it. Right. And it's, and it seems like they, for the most part, some of the positioning they've taken so far has been, as long as we get our hands on our cut, they're yeah. going to be okay with it. So, I, and, you know, and it's, it's just that, it's, and that's going to be the biggest thing. And that, that, uh, that type of system where you, you kind of have both and you're using both allows them to get their cut when you're, they're going on and off and who knows how long that continues. And, you know, if, if they lose control, but as long as the governments have control, that's what they freak out about. And I imagine that's what you guys are seeing too. Like, as far as like on the regulator side, if you're going into the smaller trades, just the amount of regulations and stuff you have to deal with, I can only imagine what's going on in that office when the whatever, I guess it's OSC is coming in and being like, okay, here's what we need with all this, the paperwork, this whatever FinTrack or whatever else it is that you guys are doing. It must be yeah, it's chaotic. An, I know it's a it's an ongoing process for our guys, not something that I work uh, specifically on a day-to-day basis, but definitely something that you know my guys are, are very focused on and, and making sure that we're above board and they've done a fantastic job doing an internal audit so we can pass a third-party audit um, and, you know, get all that regulation in place but could you, you know, imagine the OS, sorry to cut you off but if if we had some like the osc coming in here saying okay let's go guys this is what we're going to need from us i just don't like when paperwork already bugs me and if they're like okay here's what all the stuff we need like from our business we have to start handing it over and do all this i'll be like guys get out of here mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think i'd i'd get like so overwhelmed by it i'm like you know what? i'm just gonna close the business yeah, <laughs> I'm like i'd rather than deal with you guys i don't want to deal with it no but i think i think the underlying point though is that regulation is really good for the space yeah. in general because then more institutional money flows in and the more institutional money that flows in the less volatility there is the more liquidity that there is I just ultimately think that it just gives it way more credence. And I was communicating with um, one of our clients this morning, actually. And he was he made a comment, something along the lines of, oh, I'd love to see some more positive momentum for Bitcoin. And I responded, again, paraphrasing, but, you know, there's so many reasons to be excited for oh, Bitcoin long term, like more so now, now than there was six months ago and more so six months ago than there was two years ago. And it's just not being reflected in the price right now. But that doesn't mean that, you know, there isn't a reason to think that this isn't going to go to the, you know, the proverbial moon. <laughs> so how do you, <laughs> like and it's such a big topic. Like, how do you tell someone to, because to be really bullish on it, you kind of have to know macroeconomics. You kind of have to know maybe the history of money and what hard and sound money is. Like, there's all these weird factors. If you, if you were looking back, I guess, to yourself as an NHL player, to some younger NHL players now, and, and you wanted to say, hey, check this stuff out. 
how would you even approach it? Is there is there something? I think selling Bitcoin is very difficult, and I think it it's very uh, situation dependent. And 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 what I try to do is I try to meet people where they are. So if I'm speaking with someone who's versed in real estate, then I try and approach Bitcoin from a scarcity, um, you know, supply limit, twenty one million Bitcoin only ever. Because a lot of real estate people, such as you guys, you know, you would understand supply and demand. Well, how much waterfront property are you ever going to have? They're not making more oceans, and they're not making more lakes. So I try to come in from that angle. If someone, you know, maybe has a better understanding of, let's say, insurance, then maybe I try yeah, to smart. Scare, then maybe yeah. I try and scare them on the debt spiral that we're in. Yeah, say, yeah, Look, yeah. Look, Bitcoin's an insurance on, you know, the fiat Ponzi, as our as our friend Greg Voss likes to say. But I think just going into a conversation on Bitcoin cold, it's 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 kind of difficult on where to approach it because there's so many layers to it that it can become very overwhelming if you kind of come totally. out without a direction. Um, and and I even experienced that too when I started to fall down the rabbit hole because. You know, you'd watch one video on, on this concept and then another video on that <laughs> concept. And you're like, well, how do I bring this all together? Yeah. Like, it's just crazy. What were some, was there some podcast or so, was there something that really worked for you? For me, it was the Bitcoin standard, the book. For whatever reason, with my background, that book brought it together really nicely for me. Was there something for you? Digital Gold was a book that I read. I really enjoyed that one. It was a little bit more of a history um, talking about some of the some of the collapses that happened. Um, but But, you know, sort of the growth of the industry as well. Um, I'm currently reading Rick Edelman's book, The Truth About Crypto, which I'm actually I'm really enjoying. Um, for those who aren't familiar with Rick Edelman, he's one of the best investment advisors of all time. He he basically built a, an investment firm from scratch, uh, his wife and him, uh, up to like over 250 billion in assets under management. And he essentially stepped away from it to focus on Bitcoin. Um, what else? Andreas Antonopoulos. Yeah, I forgot all, about his stuff. All his YouTube I read videos. all his books early on. I totally forgot about those books. So I haven't read those little book. colored books. Okay, they're but, tiny little books. But his YouTube talks I found very educational and sort of really laid a groundwork for me. Um, yeah, I feel like he's disappeared a little bit or I don't see him in the whole... I don't. See, maybe he's around and I just kind of have lost touch with his stuff. I don't know, the, the Pomp. Anthony yeah, Pomp, yeah, 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 yeah. Podcast, listen yeah. to him. Like, there's there's a, a whole bunch of resources out there. But yeah. yeah, those are sort of the four main ones that sort of come to my mind right now. Anyway. Yeah, got it. Yeah, you're making me think of uh mine uh, one of mine also on that was uh breedlove robert breedlove had these like medium articles do you remember like the, the why the number is bitcoin and the number yeah. zero and bitcoin and like god or something or they, something. Were, they were they <laughs> were some of them some was. of them were <laughs> bitcoin's a religion yeah <laughs> it, it was like because he gets into the spiritual aspect of it and it sounds crazy but uh for some reason those articles like they worked with me i was like i really they were a bit too much for me but I my friends hearing that are just gonna have yeah. me for that one but i understood where he was coming from because i think he was coming from for me they were too too deep personally i think he was coming from like is this an economic truth yeah, and how can it help? Like, they're just the bigger picture of it. And I think that's what gets, gets lost, too, like, like you were saying earlier. Like, we're, you know, we're, we're, our banking system and our currency has been really stable. And, but you look around the world, and this, is, this type of thing it's is needed. needed for yeah. people, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like in our lifetimes, we're going to see major sovereign countries settle trade deficits with each other. Well, that's Greg Bitcoin. Voss. That's Greg Voss. That's and I think his... And, and that's how he gets to his price prediction, I think, of like $2.5 million. Yeah. Something like if it captures 5% of the debt market. Yeah. Something like Cause that. Because if I, if I was a big country like now, and I know I know Russia and, and, and China are trading oil now and doing it with the yuan or ruble. They're asking for rubles and they're kind of making it work and they might be settling with gold and that kind of stuff. But longer term, you still have to trust, like unless someone's sending you a pallet of gold mm -hmm. that you can verify, you still have to kind of trust these settlements up until some point until you take physical delivery. Like it's just gonna come to the point to me naturally where if this is a true digital asset that nobody controls, why wouldn't you use it to settle? 
It's yeah. just economically has well. It's just easier friction. too, easier. and it's cheaper. Like, how yeah. do you send that pallet of gold? I remember when they sent a pallet of gold to Iran for something. The ocean. Yeah. Yeah. Was yeah. it Why the security? That's right. When France wanted its gold back, Germany wanted its gold back from the U.S. Only like they took it recently. I think well, it was after the financial recently. crisis. Yeah. They and it, I think it took like three years. They did it piecemeal. Yeah. Can you like it just sounds that, silly? Yeah. When you could just send it all at once and basically like sending an email. Yeah. Or even it. Yeah. Exactly. And that brings me up back to Sat Street for a second if someone's buying with you guys do you guys custody it and are they able to take their own custody with that absolutely yeah okay so, so both are available yeah both are available so uh first and foremost so we we essentially have three solutions one we're happy to custody assets we have roughly 150 million assets under custody right now obviously it moves around depending on where the price of bitcoin and ethereum and all the other things are um so happy to do that for clients we leverage our own cold storage wallets we have them geographically dispersed amongst you know, uh, safety security or safety deposit boxes, you know, multi-sig, all that type of stuff to, to make sure that our your clients, house, I thought you were yeah, my, 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 my house. Don't, don't come knocking on I my door. Were, I thought you were going to share the location. Do you have them geographically yeah. dispersed here? Year, the GPS year, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Muskoka, yeah, we're in Paris. 418 Iroquois. Yeah. You know. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, so great solution. Actually, yeah. Peter, you're sitting right on top of some cement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, the second option is obviously they can take personal custody. So it just comes down to the comfort level because obviously as you take personal custody, you're your own uh, third-party counter risk. So as long as you're comfortable moving your assets around, um, it, it, sometimes it can beg a bigger conversation. You know, God forbid something happens to you. What, sure. what fail-safes do you have in place to make sure that your kin can get access to it and all this stuff, right? So happy to send it back. Um, um, and then the third one is, uh, if you're over 250,000 US, I believe the number is, then we can lay it off to uh, a third party custody solution that we're partners with. Um, and uh, there is a small uh, fee that comes with that, but it is an insured solution. So it just, you know, depending again on the investor, some of our corporate or institutional investors. Yeah, they're not going to take it off. They don't want to take personal custody. Maybe they don't want us to have it because it's not a qualified custodian. Um, but yeah, three, three, three options. It's going to be interesting talking to you in like five years and ten, I know that sounds like an eon from now, 10 years, but I can, it's just going to be really interesting to see where well, he's the speed up to. at which this stuff has been yeah. moving in five yeah. years you'd think it's weird because everyone focuses on short-term price stuff. like you were talking about people within bitcoin you know they're focused on just the now they're like okay i just don't get it because the price has just come down they don't get it but it just the in the developments in that space of uh, just moving faster and faster well, just and sorry you mentioned a couple like you know hedge fund guys and stuff like the amount of and this is something we read about early on, just the amount of talent and money pouring into the space as far as development and building it out. Like that's where a lot of focus is going for yeah. people. So if that's all happening now, five years oh, is, so is a different. lifetime. You know, it's, there's there's a lot that can happen in a five year period. Yeah. It was like in university when I saw dial up internet and Cindy Crawford, you're too young to probably even know who Cindy Crawford is. Cindy <laughs> Crawford Cindy came Crawford, up in a bikini. But thank you. And, a bikini <laughs> and, and it was kind of loading like this and it, there's like 10 guys around. <laughs> like, and then, and it would like, it would go down the internet. You're like, oh, dang, you got to reload it. But then five years later, like it's just streaming. These pictures are streaming up. But it also reminds me a year ago, the fountain app for podcasts didn't even exist. So Fountain is these guys out of the UK. Oscar Mary has this awesome app where podcasts now, you download the Fountain app and instead of using Spotify or Apple to music to listen to your podcast, you use Fountain. And if they like a podcast they're listening to, you can stream sats. Yeah. It has a wallet built in. You stream sats to it. We've had people stream us sats. And if somebody makes a clip of, let's say, this episode and listening to you and let's say other people listen to that clip and like the clip they make, they can send them sats. So they could take content from this show clip it in a really good way. And if people like that clip, the person who took the clip 
can it get sats sent to them? Do you get? Would you get sats because it was your original? I book? think uh, you know. I haven't had anyone do that. We should do it. I think you can. I know if people send us sats, we can set the ratio mm. to say you gave us your wallet and you wanted some sats coming your way. We could kind of set some that if they sent like a thousand sats or a hundred sats or ten sats, whatever, you know, some could go to you, some could go to us. I don't know in the clips. Uh, we're just still kind of le- we're learning. Like I don't even know yet. Yep. I don't think anyone's really done a clip. But we I, could ask somebody for, a, for just a. I have I have the fountain app, but I'm no expert on. It. I haven't like totally done. Yeah, it takes a little bit. I loaded it with some. I've sent some sats around to different podcasters that I kind of wanted to support. Um, but that didn't even exist a year ago. And no. the, for the person who said I can't pay for a coffee, well, you're just asking the wrong question. When before could you send sats to somebody for listening to something? Whereas before you would never say, let's say, twenty five cents equivalent in some monetary value to someone because the fees to send 25 doesn't make sense but now well that's why amex visa mastercard they can't do it because there's like a 60 60 cent fee so any transaction you know that doesn't make sense for them yeah so now with these tiny little micro payments 20 cents here 20 cents there and maybe kind of roll your eyes at that a little bit but that changes the economic game if 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 you've printed out content that's there for years yeah you know i'm not saying it's going to be millions of dollars but there's some value well what a way to fundraise too somebody comes on that you want to get the money that before just small donations like that they couldn't even really accept now everybody gives 50 cents for something they believe in really adds up and matters right my thing is i just can't wait for because i know it's coming and it's when when email there's there's it's more widespread and it's going to be longer than five years this one but i i'm convinced it's going to be you when you send your email you can send some sats with it and that either gets better placement in the inbox or you'll have to do it so just jack mollers is using oh, that now something where he, yeah he, but you have to send him sats for the email to be delivered is it to but it. i just didn't know the software because i thought it was through that browser-based software that they were, oh, they were might, that's why i didn't that, know, that's an interesting concept though i never thought of well it just either. think about it because just think of how much and then then all of a sudden like even to send marketing i'm not saying marketing emails are going to go away pure spam might go away because then the the, the the monetary numbers just don't work but marketing emails people might have to think about them a little bit more and make sure they're sending them to the right people with the right message because there's some costs associated with it and they can do the cost because it's just these little things so Absolutely. maybe you don't have to pay maybe email's still free but if you want better you inbox want to be placement inbox. But it, it's even, like it's like google placement 100 for the top it of makes google. sense yeah. it's coming because right now the inbox to all of us is a to-do list that somebody else made for me yeah <laughs> it's no, not really great, that's yeah. really what it is i didn't make this to-do list i look in my inbox and there's all these things i'm emailing peter 10 times going what the hell's going on with the leafs this year you know <laughs> I look at them, like, hey what's happening peter give me the insight. or you're Talk rescheduling to- me you know yeah <laughs> yeah sorry we're traveling again <laughs> yeah. sorry can't make it no you were i think you were trying you went to some stag or something somewhere i think we both rescheduled one time yeah, each other. yeah 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 I, I was i might have been guilty of one more i'll give it to you yeah. you're, you're, you're right but uh so um peter if you look back on uh on you know your time i guess through hockey and now this is a change for you is there anything you would have done differently or has everything worked out according to plan i don't or, know if anything is is according to plan <laughs> you know if i could look well, what back, you, yeah well if i could look back i'd sign a 10-year contract for 10 million dollars like austin matthews or Connor yeah, david yeah um, yeah unfortunately I wasn't that type of player, but, yeah. um, that was the, that was the dream growing up. Uh, no, you know, I think that, uh, I'm, I'm really happy with, with where I am right now. And, and, and I, I really like the group of guys that I'm working with. And I think that they have a really good head on their shoulders. And, 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 you know, before I, before I did join up with Sat Street, even though that was the opportunity that got presented, I did meet with a couple other exchanges, um, just to chat with them as well and explore different opportunities. And I just always found myself coming back to Satchery and coming back to these guys, Mike and John and, and the other guys on the sales team and whatever else. But um, no, I'm really excited for the industry and, 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 and 
Sounds like you found your AHL team. This is your, the <laughs> AHL team that you liked. And I don't mean that you were playing in the NHL, but remember AHL, but remember that group you said that wouldn't leave the rink? Yeah, It absolutely. feels like you found that equivalent of guys absolutely. in this industry. Absolutely. And it's, it's you know, we were, we were chatting before we went live, I think, but uh, it, it's sort of a weird time to have gotten involved just because everything is so depressed in the markets, really across the board, but obviously more so crypto, just, you know, it's sort of the biggest risk on asset at the, at the moment. I, we don't ultimately don't believe it's going to be that in five to 10 years, but um, weird time to get involved, but great time to be building relationships mm. and getting to know people and building your knowledge base. So, you know, as more and more people start to find the space again, you're sort of that, you know, expert, uh, if you can ever really be an expert in this stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's great to be part of the team with the Sat Street guys and, and we're excited for the future. What, one more. That's awesome. I'm, it feels like it's working out really nicely for you just from the outside watching. It really does. Um, well, thank you. And, and, uh, one, one other thing, what did you learn? What have you learned about yourself? Because you've been through a lot, like you played at the highest level of sport and with some of the most competitive people in the world to make it to that level, you, your mindset is incredible. And to make it there, let's face it, everybody, you know, our kids, when my son was playing hockey in Oakville, you see how hard it is to make it, to make it into the NHL. You did it. And then you went through a whole bunch of emotional highs and lows. What have, what have you learned about yourself over the last 10 years that maybe you didn't know about yourself or is kind of was interesting, something, something that you didn't, you never lived through? Just there's probably a moment or something that came up that you're like, damn, you know, I'm going to remember that. It's a, it's a good question. And to put my finger on sort of one thing, I think is difficult, but you know, it, I guess I don't really take no for an answer, which maybe bodes well for me sort of being in a, in a sales position as a business development team here with Stat Street. But, you know, growing up, I always heard hockey's not a good career path or, you know, think about the percentages, how many people actually make mm -hmm. it. That's what's always used. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you sort of push that aside and, you know, well, you know, you, you hear a lot, well, crypto's dead. It's, you know, there's, there's no, ah, you know, yeah, yeah. push that aside. Right. So, it, or, or, you know, playing professional hockey. Well, how are you going to get a degree? How are you going to do that? Well, push that aside and just sort of, just sort of continue to put one step in front of the other. And um, I don't know, I guess, I guess just learning to, be on a path and stick with it is, is something that I, I, I've historically been pretty good at. It's there's, there's new challenges, right? You know, I'm, I'm 31 now. I'm not 21 when I was a single guy where it was easy just to, you know, devote my entire life to the thing that I maybe wanted to be working on. Whereas now I have a wife and I have a young daughter and, you know, so there's other important areas of my life that I need to focus attention on as well. But you know, how do, how do I continue to just put one step in front of the other and continue building and be valuable to sort of all those relationships in my life? Yeah, you don't take no for just hearing your story. It's obvious you don't take no for an answer. <laughs> well, I mean, trying I, to get into Babcock, I could, I could, trying to get time with Babcock. I right? could flip it on its head and, yeah. you know, look what you guys have built at Rockstar mm. Real Estate, right? Like you guys built this from zero to 100. So, mm. you know, you it's it's not dissimilar. It's just a different path. Sure. Yeah, totally. Pleasure to have you on, man. Um, anything we can ever do to, to help you out with anything we want to. So well, just, thank you. Just That's let us know. And uh, so what would be the best way for someone to find you? Is it just a website, uh, whatever you want to hand out? How, if someone's looking to find you, how, how can they? So on Twitter, I'm at Peter Holland 13. And uh, if someone wants to get in touch with me directly, I'm Peter at satstreet.com. Sat Street is uh, just the way it sounds. S-A-T-S-T-R-E-E-T.com. It's a bit of a play on words. Can, can so it, obviously Bitcoin, 100 million Satoshis, Sat, Sat Street, kind of like Wall Street. Oh, got it. Cool. Yeah.
Cool. So we will link to all of those in the show notes. Awesome. And um, if you're a Leafs fan, you might as well say you are because you're probably, let's face it, probably get a little bit better treatment. <laughs> if, you're a, if you're a Habs fan, don't bring that up. Yeah, don't okay? bring so it up. So if you send an email and he, and he doesn't see anything about, about the Habs <laughs> or your Leaf preferences or your, sorry, your NHL preferences, he knows what you are. So if you're a Leafs fan, they'll call it, call it out. But, uh, and what, so make the final prediction on the Leafs, where do they end today? Second round? Do we get to the playoffs? We get to the I playoffs. Think it, I think if we get past the first round, we're going to the conference finals. Conference finals. I like, yeah. Conference That's what finals. I think. I don't I think, think we stop at the second round. I think we either get through the first round and on to the conference finals. I could, or I could buy that because we have so much momentum after busting through that ceiling. Yeah. I think Murray plays. Why are you smiling when you say we're, we're going to the conference final? No, because I'm, I'm smiling because I'm going to give you the prediction that you're going to hold me to. And I, I shouldn't even say this. I think Murray plays better than anyone expects the first half of the season starts to falter. Samson off ter- ter- turns into the number one goalie that he was projected to be when he's, he was drafted in the first round. And we win the cup. Whoa. Whoa. I'll Heard say, it here I'll first. Say, how many goals, how many goals has Matthew scored? Oh, 250. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, 200. Okay. He can we're do it, this. man. That's just over four a, a game. Yeah, That's yeah, no problem. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> Peter, thank you so much. Appreciate this, man. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, guys. Hey, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Peter as much as we did. If you want to reach out to Peter, here's two different ways to contact him. You can reach out to him on his Twitter handle through Twitter at... Peter Holland 13. So that's at Peter Holland 13. Or his email address is Peter at satstreet.com. So that's Peter at satstreet, S A T street.com. He also mentioned that they, he, they will help educate. So if you have any questions about Bitcoin, if it works for you, doesn't work for you, you can reach out and they'll help you through that process. And if you're listening to this and you're trying to get some education around real estate investing, you can hit our website at rockstarinnercircle.com for free copies of our reports, books, videos, links to podcasts like this. It's all available to you there at rockstarinnercircle.com. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.